Welcome back to the Think Education podcast. I'm Chris Hill, joined as ever by co-host Judith Lamy. Uh, in our ongoing conversation about all things international higher education, and I guess particularly our reflective focus, um, we're going to begin at the beginning, I guess, in many ways, right? We're going to start thinking about... Yeah, we're, we've been talking about this a, a little bit recently, right, in the last couple of podcasts, and we've certainly been talking about this with people, um, sort of reflecting about the book transitions we've done in terms of big picture to sort of institutional level to now sort of individual level and, and very much people-focused and journeys, and where better place to start than, than with ourselves and, well... I was joking with um, with my daughter yesterday. I said, "Oh no, I'm I'm doing some some writing because Judith and I have have begun writing." And she's like, "Oh really? Have you begun writing?" I said, "Yes, we've actually Judith's written something down. We've we've formally begun. We, we're no longer in the in the idea stage." Yeah, and because you started um, this chapter and your reflections are therefore already on paper, tag your it. You get to go first. <laughs> I think I think that's really how we've how we've come to this point. So. Uh, I guess what we're trying to explore really is, um, and this is prompted right through conversations we had last year with with colleagues who talked a little bit about their journeys and about their, you know, motivations and and or accidents for having arrived at where they they were, and we included some reflections in the in the last book, uh, and we're going to sort of I guess take it to a a more detailed look uh, this time, really just to learn and and enjoy the journey that people have gone through. Uh, so you've, <laughs> well, I'm trying to think how to actually, but the best way to start this with a question, because obviously I've read what you've written and the, there's, yes. there's, there's <laughs> references to confectionery. There's references to, to all these different types of things. Um, when you, did you ever, I guess to start it very big picture, did you ever think at any point in your uh, university career, pre-university career, adolescence, did you ever think, oh, you know what, I think I'm going to be senior management in international education? I mean, was that was that ever a, a goal? Was that ever a something that you even knew existed, I guess, right? Because it, that's maybe maybe not, not the reality for many of us. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I think I could say categorically, and not in a, not in a negative way, not in a I knew about it, therefore didn't want to do it, <laughs> sort of a way. Yeah. Um, like a few other types of, of jobs, I suppose, where I saw that people had got them and I thought, mm, yeah, I don't fancy that. Um, but I, no, I, I, suppose, um, I suppose like a lot of people, um, I, I, had, I had ambitions of things that I felt that I could achieve, but that were in my sort of knowledge sphere. Mm. You know, so things I was aware of, and I thought, oh, therefore I might be able to do to do that. You know, and certainly in my pre-university years, I mean, I, I wasn't really even expecting, particularly to to go to university. Nobody in my family had done O levels as they were then, let alone A levels, let alone go to university. Um, so I think, as I've said before, a number of them. Uh, still say are you ever actually going to get a real job in the real world or are you just permanently going to stay in in school in yeah. big school I said well I think it's safe to say as I'm near retirement then I'm going to stay here now 
So no, so I suppose I didn't. And, and I guess as well, certainly in my school years and things like that, if you think about it, and for those of you who are young listening to this, this will sound like the dark ages, um, but with no, there wasn't an internet. There wasn't, you know, we had, we had three um, channels on the, the <laughs> television. Um, and then Channel 4 came along. And we were like, what is this? Goodness me, we'll never have any time to do anything else because there's so much to watch. And then some whippersnapper called Channel 5 came along, you know, quite a few years later. And we seemingly were overwhelmed by choice. And now, of course, we've got literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And we always end up going back to watch the same sort of thing. Um, but so there was no internet. So there was, there was no access to the kind of things that, that you might not know existed, but different ways in which you could find things out, you know. And and so, you know, I certainly, I, I suppose I, I had, I mean, one thing that I know we're going to be starting this um, this chapter with and the beginning of the, of the book on as well, is just talking to people about what their ambitions were, if they can remember as far back when, when they were kids. We're also going to be asking some kids what, what, what they want to be, you know. And, and, I, and I suppose... Mine fell into sort of two two categories, therefore. There were the very simple, pragmatic, having, as I say, been brought up in a family where my father had left school at, at 14, my mother, I think, a year or so after that, you know, at 15. So neither of them had been to, to university or done anything else. So getting a job was important. So I, my thoughts were, what can I do? When I grow up, that means I'm going to get a job and I don't mind going to do it and, mm. and how am I going to get there and all of those sorts of really sort of very basic things. To the, to the other side of, uh, you know, a classic at that time was, you know, I want to be an astronaut or I want to go to space or I want to get all these things that you absolutely never thought. Well, you know, it did happen because, you know, you saw something on the television, but... Um, it, there was then, then there were the, the, those kind of, well, I know that's not really going to happen, but if, if in my ideal world, you know, then I would be, I would be X. Um, and, and, I, and so I suppose, though, the, 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 the pragmatist in me thought that teaching was something that, you know, people had said, you're good, you're good at standing there, you're good at talking to people and getting people to do stuff. Oh, you should be a teacher. Mm. And I thought, fair enough, sounds all right. Sounds like a good job. You know, very stable as it was then. Um, and so I started to, to think about that. So I guess yes in the education sphere, but absolutely no when it came to going, you know, I, I didn't really have much of an awareness of things that were overseas I knew they were there I read a lot because you had to read a lot then because that was the choice sure. you know that yeah. was that was what you did as a as you know if, if you were having for your hobbies and things like that you know I always did a load of reading so so I was I was interested in far away places but in that kind of way that you are that you never think you're ever going to get there because for me whether something was in France or Japan or China or Australia or Dubai, it, it might have well have been the moon or Mars or something like that, you know, because I'd never really got much further than the South Coast. Mm. And so if you, you moved into 
um, I guess therefore the the idea or the the reality of 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 what it was to be a teacher is that being a potential career path. Um, and then how did the how did Japan come up? Because you it's you know similar to conversations we've had with other colleagues, it goes from being a relatively small in ge- geographic terms world to all of a sudden. Yes. Well, I'm not just going to go to London, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm spin the globe around and, and jump onto the other side, right? It's, it's an enormous, it's an enormous journey, right? How did that come about? Yeah, and, and again, you know, you, you, so as I say, it's, it's since going to be part of this, this, this chapter in the book, but um, having studied at university, you know, and, and, gone to the University of Warwick and done a, done a joint degree there um, and done reasonably well and decided therefore I was still going to, you know, I, I was offered a job, took that job in, in Birmingham teaching um, and and was going to be happy doing that. You know, I liked, I liked teaching. I, I liked teaching mathematics and English. Those are my two main subjects for, for teaching. I was... I was very nearly going to go down the mathematics route as it as it happened, um, but ended up going down the the English route, <laughs> um, and and so I got a job. And then one day, uh, a friend of mine, literally, I think he'd seen this advert in a newspaper um, by the Japanese Ministry of Education, saying, "Look, they're looking for English teachers. You're an English teacher." Why didn't you apply for this? And I'm like, it's in Japan. Where's Japan again? Yeah. You know, so we went, we've got a map. We got the, literally got the globe because I remember in our house we had one of those globes, right? Which if, uh, I don't know if we've, we've, we've still got it in an attic somewhere. And I'm not saying I didn't know where Japan was roughly, but I certainly didn't know in any detail and had a look and thought, I was on the other side of the world. You've gone mad. Mm. Um, but I had a look at this and I thought, oh, well, you know, I might, I could apply. Mm. It's teaching English. I'm good at teaching English. They want people who have graduated. They want, and I'm, I'm a teacher and I've, you know, done well there and I did well at university. So, I mean, I might at least get an interview and the interviews were being held in London. And I thought that would be a great day out for me and my mum and my auntie, as my, my father had passed away long before then. Um, and that way, we might get a day a day trip to London. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Um, and 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 I think my ambition for for the for the role didn't even extend beyond that. You know, so the fact that I did then get an interview in London for us was fantastic. We were open, and and the fact that I had to go to the the embassy in London and have the interview was a sort of minor detail in the middle of the day when we could get on an open-top bus and drive around London and generally have a nice time. And as you know, Chris, mostly, you know, confectionery and or ice cream is usually involved in these kind of things. And I'm sure that, that, that we partook of those on our little day trip and our trains up and down. Um, and, and I really enjoyed the experience. I, it was just fascinating just going to the embassy. I never be, Of course, I'd never been to an embassy before. Mm. You know, so I think I was more nervous about that and there was a flag outside and it was just so exciting. And so I went, I had the interview and, I, you know, I, I said to him, well, obviously I've never been to Japan, I don't, you know, it's, I don't speak Japanese, but 
I'm interested in these different sorts of things. And, and on reflection, and I remember them asking me much more about, I suppose what they were trying to do is was, was gauge the type of person I was, you know, was I open to things, was I open to, to experiences, was I resilient, was I, you know, and, and they did ask me about what I knew um, in particular about Japan. And at that time, my, my mother was uh, working in accountancy and she worked for a Toyota franchise. All right. I said, well, well, my mum works for a Toyota franchise and we've got a Toyota, so I know about them. Mm. Um, and I literally remember saying it like that. And they were like, oh, well done. Uh, and left it at that and and then, you know, went back home, obviously, and, and said, well, that was a nice experience. They were all very friendly and it was wonderful going in there. And, wow, that's what an embassy looks like. And had, you know, thought that was it, really. And then, as is therefore then the situation sometimes with these kind of things, when you absolutely don't think you're going to get anything, you're already doing my lesson plans for Monday morning, a letter arrived and offered me the role mm-hmm. to go and teach in Japan. And I remember to my mother and going, I've been offered the job. Would you? I'd better go now, I suppose, hadn't I? And it never then even occurred to me not to not to go. Actually, it was almost like, well, I I, I applied for it and I've been offered it. It would be rude to turn it <laughs> to down not. because I've been offered this role. And you know, and I and I actually do remember that that conversation that I had with, and nobody actually even did say to me in the family. They were also surprised, I think, and were themselves rushing off to libraries to get the an atlas to find out where it was that this mad cousin or you know of theirs had decided that they might be going to and that's literally how it how it started i i had had no i really didn't think i was going to be going um i was asked to um, offer the role so i thought well i'd better go then yeah um and then spent the next little while because that was um i think definitely a couple of months before i did go because there was an orientation for it and things like that um so i had that time so i went and told them that my work i said you know you know i've just started you know this year off well i've been offered this job in japan and i'd really like to take it is that all right and actually they were very good and they said well yes no we can see it's a a really good experience for you. We'll we'll keep your role open mm. and um, go and go because I think they thought probably go have that experience, come back, yeah, and that will be good for the, the school as well. Yeah, it's it's funny because for people that either share your and I our cultural sort of background or at least are familiar with it, that's such a quintessentially British thing to do, isn't it? Oh, oh, do you think so? Oh, well, I, I better go. Like, there's no, it's, it's not even, yeah. <laughs> it's just this massive upheaval of entire life. Like, oh, well, I, I suppose I'm, well, like, well, right, I'm off then. And it, it's, that's such a, that's such a cultural <laughs> thing to, to have done. Um, well, it's really, what I find really interesting is um, there's so many different sort of layers to what, what you're describing because it, it obviously is a, is a shared experience that you have with international students today, even though, you know, technology shifted and the internet, everything that you talked about, yeah. but that, that sheer upheaval, you know, that, that sort mm-hmm. of disconnect from your home to somewhere that, yes, nowadays, yes, you can certainly have a much better awareness of where you're going. There's no end of YouTube videos you can watch about people probably walking on the streets that you're going to walk on, actually. But you still haven't yeah. experienced it. Um, 
so you've got that sort of shared, you know, experience with with international students uh, today. But it's something, that, and this is this is, I think maybe this is a thing that's going to come up, thinking about how we engage through international education. I, I recently read a book called Abroad in Japan, which is by a um, a guy called Chris Broad, and he went to teach in the in the same program as you did um, uh, relatively recently, and his experience is very similar and his interview yeah. experience sounds quite similar in the sense that he's being interviewed and they say well what do you know about japan and he said well i've never been i don't speak japanese i don't really know anything i've probably seen a samurai movie you know it, it's and yes. he started I, I made me think so the people that are running this program are effectively recruiting as you said based on the type of person because they're not looking for mm. fluent japanese speakers because they're looking for english speakers but yeah. And it made me reflect on, or gave me an opportunity to reflect on, on what's sometimes a disconnect in, in international higher education where you send people out based on what they represent at home, but with no training mm. or, or thinking about, well, things are going to be massively different when you get there and you're going to have to do things differently and you're going to have to adapt because you, you quite simply can't do things the same. Um, yeah. I, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, and I mean, obviously, the, this Japanese program, is, uh, the JET program, has been going for, I mean, a tremendous amount of time, right? I don't know oh, what the numbers six, are, but it's... Yeah, 30, 35 years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, it started in, in um, 87, 88. Right. And, 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 and you know, it, at its, at its, I mean, it's had, goodness me, it, I think it's had over, over 70,000... Right. People, participants on it, you know, and um, and I think in its in its heyday, it was it was it was sending people from, you know, of over forty countries to to Japan, mm. and in in excess of six thousand participants, you know, so it was a it was a massive a massive deal there, you know, and and the program itself, so the, the Japan Exchange Teaching Program, was was. By and large, created to 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 try and um, help uh, shape the um, curriculum reforms that were going through right. in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. Um, now, now, and I suppose actually one one thing that I would have talked about in the the interview would have been my interest in the education system because that's what I had. I'd studied it at university. I knew about the UK education system. And I did think, well, it will be interesting to be a teacher in a different system. Mm. You know, I know the kind of system that, that we have, roughly, you know, in terms of, you know, it's not everywhere. It's not exactly the same, but, but, but by and large, you know, the kind of systems that we've got, how it's, how it's developed. Won't it be interesting to see what the Japanese one was like? And the Japanese one, I suppose, quite naturally, that was presumed, you know, was was based very much on what they call the grammar translation, yeah. you know, method. When you looked at um, at English, and and it was one where there were very clearly defined roles and responsibilities for, you know, a teacher is this and a teacher does this, and it almost almost the teacher imparts wisdom, a bit like, you know, in grad grind in in Dickens's Hard Times, <laughs> fills the children who are little vessels with knowledge. And the children sit and listen and write things down and then reply yeah. and repeat. Um, and that's what it was like. Um, 
and and it was like that um and and i think what the ministry wanted was to try and um well they say this in in their program it was it was really to to enhance internationalization um by helping promote international exchange you know at a local level between japan and other countries but also to bring people who had a proficiency in the english language to help in the classroom mm. to help train japanese teachers of english in in the classroom and some the, the program itself splits into two uh, some people, um, such as myself, would spend more time in local schools, but spend maybe one, once uh, a week in, in the Board of Education. Other people would spend more time in the Board of Education uh, working with people that set up curriculum and things like that. And those people usually did have to have some some background in Japanese because you're working yeah, with of course. people who yeah, yeah. aren't in, in the classroom. Although not necessarily English teachers isn't, couldn't necessarily speak uh, English then. Um, which is understandable again when you you know about the the, the backgrounds you know. Mm. So so I suppose from you know from my point of view it was interesting to see that and to be placed in that environment as a teacher to see what it was going to be like teaching, um, you know English instead of teaching English in your own country where you're teaching English literature probably or something like that to be actually teaching the language and I had done English language at A level as well as doing it through university so. Um, so I knew about it from that point of view, although, of course, what, what I discovered when I went there was that most other people, participants, hadn't. Many, many of the participants had, had no training when it came to teaching. Mm. Um, and, and on the one hand, I think that would have, would have been a challenge and a disadvantage for some people and some of those in certainly in Japan. Um, on the other hand, it might have been a benefit because... You know, you're 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 there um, in a very different capacity. Uh, but as you as you say, I think and going back to what what you read about with with Chris Broad, you know, um, I think that kind of the kind of experience that that I had then sounds as though it's very similar to the one now. And as you say, really importantly as well, has always given me. Um, an awareness of, of what some students now must be feeling like. Even now, even when you've got all the technology that you've got, you've still got to get up, get on a plane and leave people behind. And and it, and it sort of, it seemed further then, just because it took longer as well, because planes couldn't fly that far. Yeah. So you either had to go by Anchorage, which was quite exciting, because then you got to get off the plane at Anchorage, and they stamped your passport and had a polar bear on it. Hey. And that was like, whoa, it's worth coming to Japan, just have a polar bear in your passport. Uh, and then you got back on the plane and carried on. And I remember then flying into Anchorage, looking down and thinking, well, we're never going to land down there. It's all, it's loads of ice and snow and everything. That's that looks a bit dangerous. Of course, it was fine, um, but I, I, you know, I still remember what that, what that felt like. And I suppose, you know, the, you know, thinking of the stages then, of the of the journey, and not to go into them any into any great detail now. But, you know, when when you know that you're going to do something like that, you then start to prepare for it. Obviously. Now, if you're going to study, it's a very different thing. I mean, in many ways, I was, I was more fortunate. I wasn't going to go and study and have to study in a different language to my own language and 
try and come out with a degree at the other end of it. As it happens, when I was there, I did undertake a degree for a variety of reasons, which we can come on to in, in later on the podcast, maybe. But, um, but I, you know, I don't think there was that pressure on me, obviously. Mm. I was there, and when I was doing my work side of it, what they wanted was my English language, yeah, yeah. not necessarily any, any proficiency in, in the language there itself. So, so the, for, the, for the couple of months before I went, it was thinking about, well, what, what do I need to do before I go? Well, maybe I should start off finding out where Japan is and <laughs> what it might be like. And so, as I say, there were, there's no internet, there's no Google searches, there's no let's go and ask so-and-so at your local school what they thought of it because they didn't know anybody that had, had been there. And um, so we all headed off to the library and basically got checked out every single book that had anything to do with Japan in the title um, and read through things. And somebody bought me chopsticks because of, obviously that's the other thing that people think of when they think about Japan. And then they bought Uncle Ben's rice and we tried to eat Uncle Ben's rice with chopsticks, which FYI, if you are in the UK, you will know it's totally impossible because they pride themselves on being lovely flaky pieces of rice and that's not what Japanese rice is like. So I think I remember at the time my my family going, you'll never eat if you've got to eat with these. How are you? You know, you'll, you'll come back a shadow of your former self. Uh, as it happened, it was obviously a lot easier when we got there. So we did things like that, which on the one hand were quite fun and we enjoyed them. The more I read about it, there were, there were two different types of feelings. The more I got excited about it, and the more I got really worried about it at the same time. Because I thought, this is just, I have no idea what's going to happen here. But actually, because I didn't have that length of time, even longer, to really think about it, um, which is probably a good thing, because I think, I think probably in some ways now, if I'd been given the opportunity, I would have thought, overthought it and probably wouldn't have gone. Mm. You know, whereas then I just thought, wow, I get, to go, I get to go to Japan. Somebody's going to pay to fly me out there. I get to go on a plane. You know, I get to stay in this nice hotel in Tokyo and then go somewhere else. I don't know where yet. Mm. Um, isn't that exciting? And they're going to pay me at the same time to do a job. Otherwise, I could be teaching in Birmingham. And not that Birmingham isn't a wonderful place, obviously. And now I've lived there, ironically, for the, the last 30 or so years, nearly. But... Um, you know, it's it, yeah. So, so that that preparation was there, and and then the 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 program itself did provide a a short weekend like orientation mm. uh, before you went, where you studied a bit of the language, so you could say hello and how are you and things like that, and you could look at the language and you could look at it and think, I'm never going to get to grips with this. Um, and they, they, you know, they, they chatted to you about what it was going to be like, some of the, some of the cultural mores, etc. And um, and that was great, as also because you were all in, brought together in the same place. So all of the ones who were going from the UK, that time, and of course, there were very few of us then, um, all went together on this program. And then everybody flew over on the same, on the same flight, um, and and it was that in itself also was interesting because. Some pe- I mean, a lot of us, people like, a lot of people like me just staring out of the window going, goodness me, or looking at the plane going, that is never going to take off. It's massive. Um, and they were, and were, were therefore also then quite quiet and, and reflective 
well, we read through the various things that are in the plane and all of the leaflets and tried to find out where our life jackets were and couldn't find them and thought, and also, you know, couldn't even open the bag of peanuts and thought, what am I going to get to do if there's some major crisis? I can't even get into any of the food on the plane, let alone, and, for, and I don't know where the, the life jacket is. Um, to other people who were quite loud and brash and, you know, strolling around the aisles and going, oh, well, yes, and I've seen this and I've done that and I've got, you know, and a friend of mine's been to Japan and I'm going to be wonderful there and aren't they lucky to be having me to come and visit them sort of thing. Uh, and so it was very interesting seeing the different types of people and how people were, how they were, we were behaving en route to somewhere that none of us had been. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's people, right? That's, that's a familiar, yeah. a familiar narrative. Um, yeah, and often, often the louder ones are, you know, covering for the insecurities that we all feel in those circumstances, right? It's just, we, we just have different ways of dealing with these things, but it's, it's very interesting to, to think about um, how people, as you say, how people prepare differently and how people, what they expect. And, and, and that in turn, I think probably impacts and dictates how they interact with people when they get there, you know, and, and the sort of immediate experience yeah. and, and, um, uh, yeah, it just shapes things differently. It's, I mean, so how do we get from, how do we get from Japan to PVC? Yes, well, that's... <laughs> because again. there's obviously a lot, as you said, there's, there's a, as, you know, as we go back to our own origin stories, there's, there's a, a huge amount that you will have taken on through that experience in Japan, whether you understood it at the time or whether you, you even were aware of what was, you know, you were really learning and experiencing that clearly has been of immense value as you've continued to build your career. Um, uh, even if it creates a sense of empathy that you're not necessarily conscious of, but in the way that you approach, you know, the day-to-day -day strategic and day-to-day -day activity of a university, that, that sort of empathy, that, that, you know, awareness has to play a part. I think, I mean... Tempered, obviously, by the reality of, of the business part of university. Yeah. But having been through that, I think it, it must, right? It must have given you some awareness, insight, compassion, whatever the, whatever the proper word is for, for the realities of people. Absolutely. I suppose what it, um, what it did was, was, was immediately extend my comfort zone. Mm. So no longer just thinking, well, I, I can go into teaching. I'll go into teaching in a school. And I'll teach these subjects because that's what I'm familiar with. All of a sudden, I've been to the other side of the world. I've been interacting with people. I've been having new experiences. I've been meeting other people then from lots of different countries from around the world, which, of course, you don't just then meet people from the country that you're in, sure, but, yeah. but lots of other people, particularly a program like that. Um, and I, I decided, though, therefore, during the second year. So I, so it was it certainly it was, it was painfully difficult parts of it in the first few months because you were, you know, really immersed somewhere that you didn't, there was, there was no television in English, there was nothing else, you know, you were, you were in small groups, but then basically you spent most of your time on your own. People were massively friendly and supportive. Mm. You know, you couldn't, I couldn't have gone to, to anywhere and had people who weren't, you know, um, better, but, but it still was a challenge. Uh, but, but clearly it wasn't 
so much of a one that I didn't decide that I wanted to stay. So, so you you know, you were, did have the opportunity if they were happy with you and if you wanted to, to, to renew. So I did. Um, but what I decided to do when I was there was, was two things as well. One was to actively learn more about the language and about the culture too. So, you know, as well as um, obviously just learning more about the culture and going to experience things, I started studying the language so that I could just feel a bit more comfortable. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you're surrounded by things that you simply can't understand. You can't even read what something is like because the scripts are all yeah. all different. Um, of course, then you get the delightful part. You can read the script, but you don't know what it means. Uh. So there's, there's, there's a very, very well-used tiny little dictionary that I have that I've still got somewhere in, in my room. Um, so there was that side of it. And then the other one, because of, of, of obviously being, being a trained teacher and, and having studied education, was that there were clearly challenges there as well. Very different system. Teachers are thrown into a very different system. The people in the system wanting to change, but at the same time not wanting to change. And I was then part of that actively being a change within a system, but then part of it myself as well. So um, so I decided, uh, so I looked into it and I talked to my supervisor over there and I said, you know, I'm, I think one way of me learning from this as well and also in my head thinking, coping with it, was to maybe do some studying. So I did. So I, so I did a master's by research. And my master's basically was about curriculum innovation and change. In, in Japan, it was looking at the JET program and, and, and hit that, the role that the JET program had within that. But it was also, I suppose, the beginnings of me looking into a comparative education between mm. the Japanese education and the UK one. So it almost took me back to university mm. as an academic, as opposed to obviously as, a, as an undergraduate student. Yeah. And the more I did that and the more I got into that and and, um, and then I did a TEPL qualification and other things as well. So, so you know, I made the most of my time there. And the more I, I looked into that, you know, I, I just found the whole um, theory of theory of change itself very fascinating, you know, the different uh, ways in which one can approach it, the different methods that one has with regard to to change and how people, you know, but it's it's and I, and it and it still makes me chuckle a bit even now when I'm in the environment I'm in when people will say, well, we want to do this at a university and so we're going to radically change, let's say, this particular system and we're going to explain to people why we're doing it and clearly it's perfectly rational and it's a really good idea. Therefore, they'll support it. <laughs> and I always say to people, you know, it's that, there's that little bit at the end of that sentence, which is the bit that isn't going to work. Because the point is that, that you're, you're presuming that everybody in all situations, wherever they are, are going to be rational. And they're not yeah. very often when they're thrust into the middle of a change situation. And so, so I ended up really getting fascinated not only by Japan itself and the country and the culture and looking at the education system and writing about how it had changed and how it had developed and what the great things were about it and what the challenges were about it and the fact that they were trying to take themselves, they'd had this idea themselves, that they wanted to take what was basically a Western construct and drop it in Japan. Well, clearly you can't do that. So I enjoyed writing about that side of it. And therefore, I almost drifted into, 
you know, what was going to start to be the first stages of becoming a lecturer in in education forward slash, you know, um, applied linguistics. And that's the route that it, it started to take me. And then eventually when I did, I did come back home and through various other routes as well, didn't directly go there, but, but, but you know, quite soon afterwards, ended up having my um, first lecturer position, uh, which then uh, was actually, uh, and that was at the University of Birmingham, um, was work was then part of part of that position was also um, being part of a program that that we ran at the University of Birmingham for Japanese secondary teachers and it was a teacher training program for hmm. teachers people I've been teaching with you know the people in general other than individuals obviously in in Japan you know at the same time and I, of course I didn't realise this at the time when I was there um, but shortly after that they then created a program which sent Japanese teachers of English over to the UK, actually, in this instance. And, and, and I think there, were, there was also one institution in, in, um, in America that they went to uh, to study about language teaching and language me- methods, etc. And that was a year-long programme. Hmm. And, of course, I was when I looked at the advertisement for that, um, and, I, and, and I just looked at that and I thought, well, I... I can I could do that because I've been there, I've done that, <laughs> um, and that's how that started. And so I suppose what it what it gave me uh, that experience, you know, it it opened my eyes to to what you might do with a career in higher education. But by the the fact that I. I've started the thinking about it on the other side of the world. Yeah. Immediately, the idea about having a career in higher education for me meant using that knowledge that I'd had, you know, back in Japan, and 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 therefore when I then was doing my PhD and and and, and doing other aspects of writing, it then was look. It was basically you know looking at sort of comparative education systems and either looking at it. From a language perspective, so what is the language like? How does that develop? How therefore then do we teach a language? Because that's how yeah. the language develops. To the education system in itself and the teachers, the, the, the training. But I suppose underpinning all of it um, for many, many years, what, what was, the, was the attitude to, to the management of change, mm-hmm. the management of change and innovation. And and then how that then started as was one then goes through one's career, don't you? To to thinking well, and then you become a senior lecturer, and and you become professor. And then you, then there's a, a there's always inevitably a point when you're either a head of a department or you know you you get a, a kind of management role, and you think well well I'm not going to get that, so I'll go for that, and then you get it. And as we said at the beginning, we're we're polite and the British, so we have to do it. Mm. Um, and I suppose then, once I started doing that, um, I I realised I enjoyed it. I love the teaching and I always will. And I probably miss that aspect now. Um, it's why I, I really like doing these podcasts and, and doing the writing that we do as well, because we get to talk to, to people in lots of different types of roles. But really importantly, get to work with students as well. Yeah. Um, 
and so it, I think it's that kind of so at the time did I did I think that it would give me the opportunity I've got now no because I simply didn't know what that was yeah it's almost that every part of the process I learned a little bit more about what might be the next part of the process um, yeah um, it's interesting because I think the you had the the good fortune balanced with the the personal drive that what you were doing aligned with your intellectual curiosity and and so you know you're yes. you're able to not just necessarily enjoy an experience for what it is but actually convert the experience into something that then becomes a how does that work or why does that work and let me think about and then obviously that sort of sets a, the snowball uh in in motion so, I mean, that's obviously a massive advantage where, you know, anytime I think we're, that we're in, actually genuinely interested in what we're doing on a day-to-day basis, we're going to do more, right? Because we're going to start, like, pulling at threads and trying to work things out. And, and, yeah. and I mean, I guess that's kind of the beauty of being an academic. If you, if you get that right environment, that's, that's almost a job description, right? It's go away and think about things and try and see how they work or don't work, etc. But I, I do wonder because this is this is such a familiar story for for so many of us in in our world. I don't know, you know, why, other than cultural norms, but why you took the the, the leap to go to Japan is kind of one issue. But having taken that leap, every leap after that is not a leap; it's a step. Because once you've done that, and once you've particularly in, in your case, where you, as you said, you've gone to a country where. You can't speak the language. You can't read the language. You, you know, integration is helped by friendly people, but is still, you know, there's still a, a challenge there. Once you've gone through that, you know, you're like, well, what can be harder? Well, what, you know, the next challenge is like, all right, well, I, I survived this one. Sure, I'll give that a go. And, and I wonder if in international yeah. higher education there are... We all have our different motivations for why we began, what that point of push was or why we jumped mm-hmm. off. But once you've done it once, yeah, you know, maybe it just creates and a I certain type of person, right? That is exactly it. I think what it does is it, it pushes out your comfort zone to such an extent that anything else really that, that you do within the sphere of you working in even or even another one is, is never going to be that challenging. And, and so I suppose you realize that you've, you know, you've, you've built up that resilience. You've, you've, I suppose on, on the one hand as well, there are exciting and wonderful things that you experience where you think, you know what, if I hadn't spent a lot of time sitting on my balcony crying in the rain because I can't see people and I can't talk to them, you know, but look at these wonderful places I've visited and these people that I've met and these things that I've seen. And I would never, ever have been able to do that had you know had I not taken that experience you know so because I was living so when I when I got to Japan I, my, my posting then was in Okinawa mm. so it was another case of let's get out the map book and where's that again yeah that's miles away so you know going coming to Japan was one thing Okinawa literally literally a different country in just so many different ways yeah. you know but but a wonderful as you say though a wonderful experience and therefore Anything else isn't going to really be yeah. as challenging as that. But what it does make you realise is that, you know, if, if you... There were some people that I was there with. Some people left. Some sure. people left after a few weeks. Some people left after a couple of months. That was the 
that was a really telling point of time. A couple of weeks or two or three weeks anywhere is fine because you still feel as though It's a holiday almost. In holiday mode. Yeah. Yeah. When it gets to the stage you've been there a month or so, and again, bearing in mind, we didn't have Zoom, we didn't have Google Meets, we didn't have... So I used to speak to my family once a month. They would all gather, you know, if they could, in my mum's house, um, and we would have a phone call that would cost her I don't know how much, but anyway, which is why we could only afford... She could only afford to do it once a month. She'd ring me up uh, and literally pass it around to everybody so everybody just could say hello, I'd say a few things, and then, you know, we'd put the, we'd put, I'd put the phone down. And there was never a time at the beginning, before it happened, when I felt so excited that I was going to, to talk to my family. And after it, it was, you know, the, 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 real, um, the real pain of putting that phone down and knowing you're not going to talk to people who know you, you know, mm. for the next month was very, very difficult to take. But of course, and the first time was by far the worst, because I was so excited to talk to people. And as soon as I put the phone down, I knew I wasn't going to be able to talk to anybody for the next month. And I think I probably cried for about three hours. And then, because I thought, well, I've done that now. I might as well go, and, I might as well go to the shop. You know, you just have to deal with it. And, of course, it got easier and easier. Yeah. And the more then I talked about and the more then when people would talk to me, it would be less about what are you doing and what am I missing and what happened on the latest episode of Coronation Street. You know, it was more about, well, I've been here and I've done this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and therefore... That just became a lot easier. So I, I, I got to look forward to the telephone conversations. And, of course, you wrote loads of letters and received lots of letters. Um, I got used to that. I got, I got to look forward to those, not just because I wanted to talk to people, because I wanted to share the experiences I was having. And I guess, again, a little bit like at the beginning in terms of going there, never at any point did it occur to me that I would go back because I'd made a commitment to go there, certainly for that year. That's what I'd signed a contract to do. And, and a bit of me was like, well, I've signed that contract, and unless there's a very, very good reason why I have to go back, then I should fulfil that contract. However, as well, to be really honest about it, there was a little bit of me that thought, well, I can't go back. I'm going to look a fool if I go back mm. <laughs> because I've said I'm here now. And they're all going to think I'm enjoying it. And I'm telling them what a wonderful time I'm having. I can't fetch up at Heathrow Airport and say, can somebody come down on the train and get me, please, because I've decided I can't cope. Mm. Um, so there was also that bit of me that, that was a bit, was, was proud, I suppose, that didn't want to give in when there were times when, when it was challenging. And all right, it's not on a, a, a scale of one to ten in terms of the challenges that people have in life. It wasn't massively difficult. I had a lovely place I was living in, wonderful people I was working with. But, of course, it was a challenge compared to what I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd had. But because that wasn't an option, it simply wasn't an option to go home, therefore you just tough it out um, and then you start to make the most of it. And then, of course, what you do realise is that there are aspects of it that, that you love. And, and, and therefore, when I finally did leave Japan... There is always a bit of me that misses, yeah. misses Japan. Look, just like it with, with other places that I've since lived in and worked in and, and visited. But certainly for there, I suppose, there will always be that special bond because it helped create, I think, the person I am. <laughs> now, there was always a little bit of me. And it did it, and the people there did it, in a very 
generous way, generous of their time, generous in terms of their engagement, in terms of their communication. And I suppose I've tried to to remember that and think of that over the years. And it's, I mean, it ties into stuff we've talked about before that, you know, when we talked about teaching, every single person in our classroom or every single person that walks through the admin office or what, you know, that goes through university buildings, to some extent, they're all experiencing a degree of what you've just explained. Even, even if they've come from the same country down the road, right? There's still a detachment from home and from family and there's new experiences. And, and we sort of normalize international students as a group. It's like, oh, it's a, well, we, we need 10% from here and this from here and, and, you know, but every single one of them has left home and traveled and may, they may, if they're lucky, get to talk to their family more often than you did. I mean, you would certainly expect so with technology being what it is, but that's not a given, you know, from where people no. may have come from. It's, yeah, if we can, yeah, if we can just sort of, I guess, be, be a bit more mindful of that, right? That, that we, we normalize it, don't we? Well, you're, everybody's in a university building, you're in a lecture theater, therefore... We've, we've taken on this certain identity and now we're just going to, and yet every single one of us is going through something massively different on any given day. Um, yeah, it's, uh, as you said, but, it, you know, that, that network, that support system, as you said, that's that community that we keep coming back to, you know, um, that's what helps us get through. And, and I mean, um, it's, I think it's really good that you've, you've sort of stressed on this point because you and I, like many of our colleagues, have been very fortunate. We've been able to travel. We've been able to experience wonderful things. And, and But it's hard, you know. Even if you've got a network, it's it's not easy. And and you and I have both been in positions where we don't know what we're doing, you know, feel like we're failing more often than we're succeeding, if we're succeeding ever, right? That's, that often seems yes. like a, a faint dream. And it's, it's hard work. Um, and it's sometimes very upsetting. It's very stressful and... It's worth it ultimately with reflection, but yeah. when I, I don't, we're not trying to say, yeah, yeah, you know, just take any opportunity, hop on a plane, it'll be perfect. No, 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 it'll be hard. You know, a lot of it will be really hard. Um, but, you know, as, as you said, once you've done it once, you know, if you make it through the fire, like the next one's going to be easier. Um, yeah. And you take that and, knowledge and with learn, you, right? You learn so much more about yourself as well mm. in the process. And if you're willing to do that, and learn about yourself and change yourself too. Um, and also remember that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're, you're, you're a student as well. You're learning. There's always something that you're, you're learning, you know, never miss that opportunity. There's always something that the, the beginning of a journey for you, wherever you are. And for me, you know, going over to Japan, I immediately of course became a student when it came to the language. Yeah. And just learning to be there and to do things because I didn't have a clue, and I had therefore very supportive people to help me, to help me do that. Um, but I had to be willing to do it, and there were people who who were there at that time, and I'm sure there are still people there that, that visit other countries now who simply were not interested. That I think when if they did manage to stay there for for a year, um, got back on the plane and went back to their their own countries not knowing a, a word sure. um, and and of course it isn't it isn't simply about being able to go to your local supermarket and work out what's miso and what's mm. you know strawberry jam 
Um, it, it, it's that you, when you learn when you learn a language, you start to learn about the culture, how it's created, how it's structured. That's the beauty with Japanese, you know, and and it, the, the the sort of picture graphics, you know, the the, the kanji is that they're all pictures and they derive from something, mm. you know. So the 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 the, the kanji for a for for the, for the rice fields is is basically a picture of a rice field you know it's like the the japan itself and the rising sun mm. you know and and therefore you can you learn about the country and the culture through learning the language and it isn't that you necessarily want to become bilingual or worldly proficient but it and for me as well it was it helped me it helped me to feel more comfortable somewhere if I could learn a little bit about also why people were behaving in the way. Mm -hmm. Why do people take off their shoes when they go into homes in Japan? Well, if you've got straw matting, tatami, then of course you do, because you can't, can't get dirty because the mud will, mm -hmm. will go into it. So that's why you take off your shoes and you put your slippers on. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that I would do this when I went home and they always knew when I was in somebody's house because my shoes were at the front. And I'd constantly be bowing at people. Um, you know, th there are funny little things that you take uh, back and you, you, you carry around with you. But I think there are other things that are also more fundamental. And if when we're in challenging times, we can remember some of those things that are difficult, but that we've learned from them and that we're all students when it comes down to it. And therefore, have an empathy with our students, then, you know, that's not a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And on that I think we can uh, we can draw your origin story to a to a close. Next week on Origins, we have Christopher Hill. <laughs> oh dear, I better I better try and remember one then. 